One might say that there's never is a time uh, for, you know, that we need to, st- swearing is like a great thing. One might say that we, if we, if we ever was a time to curse, uh, it's, it's the last few years. We've experienced a, the pandemic, many of us were stuck at our home for months and months, and just as things were looking like we might be getting back to normal, we experienced the COVID idiots and the anti-vaxxers, protests in hospitals and schools, and now, as we know, Remembrance Day ceremonies. There's plenty of reasons to swear, but according to a recent poll that we've heard uh, from Research Co., Canadians are actually swearing less. The numbers are lower this year than they were back in 2019, so we see Canadians saying that they are not swearing as frequently as they did, but also saying that those they, that they talk with um, are not swearing as often as they did back in 2019. This is a surprise to me uh, because I think I've been swearing more, but uh, apparently not. Apparently Canadians are swearing less. To talk about swearing, because it got me thinking about swearing uh, and why we do it and why we love it and wh- what it all means, uh, we're joined by Timothy Jay, Professor of Psychology at Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, and actually he's a world-renowned expert in cursing. Hello, uh, Timothy, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. I'm sitting here in the middle of a horrendous rainstorm. <laughs> but other than that, it's okay. <laughs> Things are okay. Sounds like here, actually. It's pretty bad weather we're having here as well. Uh, you know, you actually, you literally wrote the book on swearing, but does this data that we're seeing up here in Canada surprise you? No, and uh, I think it's important to point out that this is not, there, there was no measure of swearing. Like, nobody went out and counted differences. These, this is a measure of people's impressions. So people think they're swearing less. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right? They think they're swearing less. It's, not, it's their perceptions, which may or may not be right. Like you said, you think you're swearing yeah. more. So these are just opinions. But um, I think swearing, it, it goes through it, a fairly constant rate. I mean, the way we've... I, I've since the early 70s, I've actually counted people swearing in all types of places. What? Really? Um, How do you do yeah, that? Yeah, well, I've recorded over 10,000 people swearing and uh. um, all, all over North America and uh, in all kinds of places and from cradle to grave. Yeah, um, never a pretty good. That is I have a pretty good sense of this. I bet. How did, do they obviously know you're recording them? I, I guess because in the States you have to let them know, but that's a lot of data well, to well, go through. When you're in public, we don't. We don't have to. Uh, we don't need your permission. Okay. I'm just record, recording what um, occurs spontaneously. Okay. So first of all, and for why? Why does it feel so good to swear? Why do we like to swear? What is it about it that just so visceral? You're like, ah, oh, I just, just I love doing yeah. it. Yeah, swearing is a is a very powerful tool used for a lot of different things. But that's what we mean by venting. Mm-hmm. I think this is. I mean, we're the only animal that can do this um, symbolically with a word. Uh, so we, we relieve stress. This is, a, you yes. know, that's what we mean by venting. And so that's the, the primary use of swear words is to convey emotion, uh, to, to, to vent emotion and all kinds of emotions, you know, surprise, anger, frustration, yeah. sense of humor. There's a lot of um, emotions there to, 
to get that out of yourself, but also convey that to somebody else. That's so it has that when somebody when somebody cuts you off in traffic or, or does <laughs> yes. some, you know abuses you, <laughs> then you swear at them. Not not necessarily to start a fight, but yeah. No, I wouldn't want you, you recording me. their behavior. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't want you recording me in my car by myself because I think that's probably where no, I swear I, more than anywhere that. else. We all do that, hundred <laughs> percent. So it's interesting because you you recorded all these locations, and I, and and in the news world, uh, it's a fairly I I from my experience. Uh, fairly and actually politics, two areas where I've worked in, very prolific uh, swearing going on generally in newsrooms. And it's funny because especially in journalism and with media, they swear a lot behind the scenes, but then they have to come on air like this and they have to control themselves. And so, first of all, what industries did you see sort of uh, where it's worse than others? Well, it's any place you have a lot of physical exertion. So in any type of, you know, type of manual labor, um, my father was a mason, and uh, I, you know, I worked with him when he did bricklaying jobs, and you see that in the trades a lot. A lot of this in manual labor, any place that's highly stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you know, you get that time pressure in the in the radio station. In in the, I've you know, you sure. see that in a newspaper mm-hmm. uh, offices as well. So any place where there's a lot of um, a high pressure, high stress, high consequences. Uh, certainly, uh, sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it in uh, the military. You know, so th- is it uh, in hospital is under it conti- people con- under pressure in the hospital. Yeah, and so uh, you look at those industries, and you look at this, you know, it's, is it contagious that if, if it sort of if people are swearing, they become more comfortable with it, and it's, so therefore it's okay. Well, it, it, that all depends on the culture. That you know, a motorcycle factory is going to be different than somebody that makes yeah. uh, greeting cards. <laughs> so it, you that, know, it, yeah, it, well, it depends on the culture. I've seen the, some the greeting cards. Of the workplace. I've seen some what, greeting what's cards. What's tolerated? Before. Yeah, because <laughs> we also we also have an evolving uh, harassment um, law right. about you know about unwanted comments about the way people look and and mm-hmm. so that's also being policed at the same time or. We're under pressure. We're still being policed about what we can say in the workplace. Speaking of policing, I mean, I, I swear around my kids, and I get a lot of heat for that sometimes. And I don't, I'm not like you know trucker swearing, but it's you know I don't really hold back quite often, uh, especially if I'm with friends or whatever. And, and some people, oh, you shouldn't swear around your kids. That's just gonna you know. But then I look at my kids. I got three kids, and, and they don't really swear. They don't. They don't swear the way I used to swear when I was back in high school. Well, is there is there yeah, a direct yeah, again, relationship? There's a more you know I think. Um, Kids have a different uh, sensibility. They they become more adult-like. I don't know how old your kids are, but as they be, as they become teenagers, their vocabulary becomes more like an adult. But kids start swearing as soon as they st- start talking. They'll repeat what they hear in the house. <laughs> yes. I think that's what parents got to learn. Your kids are going to learn how to swear. I mean, that's part of being a, a literate adult is knowing what all these words mean. The good words and bad words, and and so kids are going to learn that, and they're going to they're going to learn where they can do it and where they can't do right. it. You know, it's okay in the backyard, but not not in front of Thanksgiving dinner with grandma. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Unless grandma, maybe grandma's yeah, got a dirty I've mouth. I've met a few too. grandmas like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, is I've heard that swearing actually is a sign of uh, higher intelligence. Is that true? Well, I I did that research. Okay. We did that research in my lab using a vocabulary test where we had people generate as many words as they could that start with a certain letter uh-huh. and then name as many animals as you can. You give them, we give them a minute to do that. And then finally we ask them, okay, say as many swear words as you can in a minute. 
and the people who <laughs> the people who generated the most words yeah. for for anything uh, also generated the most swear words. So what we proved fluency is fluency. People who are fluent with language, yeah. which is a high correlate of intelligence, and all intelligence tests have a language component. Uh, the people who were good at generating words were good at generating swear words. Interesting. It's not the other way around. It's not people swear because they don't have a good vocabulary. The people that have a good vocabulary are also good at generating swear words. Interesting. Is this an English language thing, or does it work with in, in all languages? Is there swearing as, as profound and prolific in, in other languages as we see it in English? All English-speaking countries are about the same in terms of... Uh, the, the, the kind of language they use. I yeah. know that because I've, we've studied Tourette, pa- patients yeah. with Tourette in all over the world, and so the Toretters vocabulary, the uncontrollable swearing, looks about the same in all English-speaking countries. Where you, where you have restrictions are, are where the presence of the church, yeah. the Catholic church, and then in those countries like South America, really? Central America, some European countries, the, you, you have a different kind of swearing, uh, more more religious-based swearing and less sexually-based swearing. Interesting. Is there, who's the most famous, is there like a famous swear, a person who swears or curses that we know of politically, like a politician or a famous person that just is renowned for swearing that you sort of go, what's up with that guy? Or do you follow that at all? Well, I, I was, uh, George Carlin, the comedian, uh-huh. I was a very good, I was a good friend of his you know, up until he died, you know, a few years ago. Uh, so you have people who get paid to swear, you know, people like a Richard Pryor, yeah. Lenny Bruce. I mean, those people, those people use it as a commodity. Uh, but then there, you know, we also, have, uh, not so much now because everybody's got a camera mm-hmm. and a recorder, but uh, a lot of athletes are pretty good at this. Um, some entertainers, rappers are, are good at this. It, it's the kind of thing you can turn off and on, though, you know, depending mm-hmm. on who's listening and and what the cost or benefit is for this. <laughs> That's right. Do you swear, Timothy? I play hockey and golf, and I think that should answer your question. <laughs> All right, thanks for and joining. And I'm not good at either, so oh, <laughs> that's so when the swear words start so a lot of swearing, a lot of swearing. Yeah. All right, Timothy, thanks for joining me today. Really interesting stuff. Appreciate it. Hey, you have a darn nice day. <laughs> okay, thank you. Welcome back. I'm George Affleck in for Mike Smith today. Hope you're doing great. Always feel free to call our buzz line throughout the show at 604-331-2899, 604-331-2899 if you want to weigh in on anything. Uh, and we're always happy to hear from you. And we'll be taking your calls actually at the end of this in, in this half hour because first of all, I want to talk a bit about uh, what happened yesterday in Kelowna. Participants of a Remembrance Day ceremony at uh, Kelowna City Park went from solemn to anger yesterday when uh, the, the woman, a woman disrupted in the gathering and started speaking about COVID-19 health mandates. It sounded a little something like this. A solemn ceremony in Kelowna City Park on Remembrance Day suddenly disrupted by shouting as anti-vaxxers take center stage. We are Take a look at these. Hey, climb up. This is not the f- day. Not the right time, not the right place. It is the right time, It was after the wreath laying and the bugler's last post. The crowd started singing O Canada, but the traditional tone of some notes was off. Free. Free. 
And all of a sudden the crowd realized what was happening. This was an anti-vaccine protest on Remembrance Day. I mean, I'm still so upset about it. A woman on a microphone claiming to be fighting for the freedoms that soldiers died for. Who are you? This is not about you. This is about the veterans. This was the worst day possible to go and do something like that. Kelowna's mayor quick to condemn the actions of anti-vaxxers. The fact that they would choose Remembrance Day, uh, a day where we are to recognize the fallen and those who have fought for the very freedoms to allow them to protest, um, to me is just so out of touch. They did the wrong thing at the wrong place. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what's happening to our society, but we seem to be losing respect for everybody. Ken Hodgson is a British Army veteran. He stood up to protesters. I said that it was inappropriate what they were saying and that uh, when they talk about losing the rights here, they've obviously never been in the country where you don't have rights. And for some, it was simply too upsetting to stay for their day. I was embarrassed and disgusted. And I had to leave. Highly emotional. Uh, that was uh, some voices uh, in Kelowna yesterday at the Remembrance Day ceremony. I'll be taking your calls uh, in a few minutes because um, I want you to weigh in on, on your thoughts on what happened in Kelowna yesterday at the Remembrance Day ceremonies. But first, our next guest was there, and he thinks the protesters crossed a line, uh, and this uh, never should have happened. I'm joined by Larry Burnett. He's a retired RCMP uh, officer, Kelowna resident, and uh, he was there. Hey, hey, Larry, how's it going? Hi, good morning. Uh, yeah, pretty good. Uh, I was still a little bit shaken and upset, yeah. but, um, you know, I didn't have much of, a, much of a sleep, to be honest with you, last night. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it was I mean, a very disturbing day. It was a bit, you know, and I thank you for, for joining me. The, you know, it was, obviously those clips were, they were a bit confusing, to be honest. I mean, tell me, from your point of view, what happened? Well, okay, so we um, we knew that there wasn't going to be uh, an organized uh, situation down there, that it was just simply going to be uh, Dennis, uh, the bugler was going to be mm -hmm. there, and uh, he was going to do last post and, uh, and the revelry, and, uh, and the bagpipe player was going to be there. So, um, you know, I... Uh, Unlike everybody else, we, I mean, we weren't going to stay away. We were going to go down and at least just put our poppy on the cenotaph, which, you know, is a solemn thing to do. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so we went down. And as we got to the park, um, I was with my daughter, and I just I said to her, look at this. This is amazing. Look at all mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. uh, gathering out, out here. I said, this is great to see. And so um, we went to the, to the cenotaph. Um, I put my poppy uh, down uh, for a uh, friend of mine and um then it was uh, we were just going to leave but i said to, to my daughter i said you know like it's five minutes before 11 o'clock let's just hang out here and let's do what you know this the moment of silence mm -hmm. and, and uh, hear the prayer and the benediction as we were doing that we noticed there was a uh, a group was setting up uh, a microphone and uh, a speaker bank and uh, I thought, geez, this is great. I mean, somebody's going to be, you know, saying a few nice words or something about, you know, the veterans and about the day. And, and like I said, maybe, you know, they'll do a benediction and, and uh, that'll be great. I was standing, I should have, I, I should, it should have clued in actually, um, because I was standing beside a fellow who had a camera, a small camera on a tripod. And this a woman came up to him and she said to him, um, 
uh, you're, you're recording this, right? And he said, yes. And she said, perfect. She said, uh, you know, this is going to be really big. Um, and I didn't really think much about it at the time. Um, and then this fellow got up and he played his guitar and sang, Oh, Canada. He was, he encouraged everybody to move. Hmm. Come on forward, everybody. Come on, you know, the whole crowd. Let's get yeah. together here and we'll be a big one choir. I thought it was a little bit bizarre to, to say that, but, you know, um, I didn't really think much about that either. And then he sang the national anthem and he sang the old version. And I thought, okay, this is a slip up. Uh, you know, he just made a mistake. But then, uh, um, um, the uh, bugler uh, did his thing, and uh, then the bagpipes played, and then the bugler uh, played railway again, and then this lady came back up to the fellow with at the camera there, and uh, she said to him, um, you know, uh, she she said, "Are you you're you're ready for this?" And uh, he said, "Yeah." She said, "This is going to be awesome. Don't miss it." So they right then, and I kind of thought, "This is." This is bizarre. This is you know, something mm-hmm. is definitely off yeah. here. And then uh, the lady stepped up to the microphone, and and we were all everybody was standing there waiting. And and uh, I thought, okay, you know, this is she's going to do the benediction. Well, then she started spewing this anti-vax stuff. God awful crap about mm-hmm. how the city had let everybody down and right. the legion let everybody down. And then she went into this thing about having to have. Uh, it was just honest to god garbage crap. And I just I. I personally, I just lost it. I just started yelling at her and telling her to get off the stage, and mm-hmm. she had no right to be there. And this was a complete setup. Mm-hmm. These people knew what they were doing from day one. They premeditated it. They thought about it. They planned it. All of the speakers, all of everything, it, it was their equipment. They knew well in advance what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I uh, 30 years I was in the RCMP. 30 years I... I, I, I tried to do my best and, and work with people. I've seen the best of people and I've seen the worst, but boy, I'll tell you what, um, these people have put a new definition on what the worst really, really does look like because that was the most disgraceful display of, of whatever it was. They desecrated that ground. They, yeah. they, it's a hollowed spot for us. It's yeah. all Canadians revere their cenotaph. Yes. We go there once a year. We do our, our, our thing once a year, but we go by there every day. Mm-hmm. And silently and quietly to ourselves, we respect the, the, the things that, that the veterans have given us. And, and for them to do this, uh, it just shows everybody lowest low. that they're just not worthy. They're not worthy of the freedom that they have. I'm speaking with Larry Burnett. He was, uh, he's a retired RCMP officer. Uh, he was in Cologne yesterday when protesters, anti-vaxxers, uh, interrupted the Rem- Remembrance Day ceremonies uh, in a really tacky way, it sounds like, for sure. By the, yeah. in the It's a nice way to put it. Your, your personal connection with Rem- Remembrance Day is you have a personal connection because you said you went there and you put a poppy down. What's your personal, you know, why, why do you honor, what do you honor at Remembrance Day? Well, uh, being in the RCMP, there's a connection there anyway. Yeah, I, sure. I, I go in Red Surge every year. I would uh, take part in the services. But um, something happened uh, to me here uh, not that long ago um, I, when I referred to a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a friend that I've never met. And if that makes any sense to you at all, I will tell you the story very briefly about what happened uh, that this person is now my friend. Uh, his name is Roy uh, Cutland. And uh, I bought a house in uh, West Kelowna, mm-hmm. uh, where Roy built it in the 60s. 
And um, we were renovating the house, and I was removing some ceiling tile, and a wallet fell down out of the ceiling. And it fell to my feet. And I picked up this wallet, and I opened it up, and it was full of um, money from different countries all over the world. In, in, mainly, uh, they were from theater of war uh, countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I examined the wallet a little bit further, and there was a bunch of pictures in there. And uh, some of the pictures were of uh, Roy, and he was standing in front of his airplane. Uh, if you ever saw the movie uh, Memphis Blues, sure. uh, the airplane was exactly one of those, where okay. they painted the face on mm-hmm. the front of the plane. And Roy was standing there with his co-pilot, and uh, there was other pictures in there of Roy and his best friend. There was uh, some memorabilia from the war in this wallet, and... Uh, so my wife um, got to work on the internet, and she found uh, Roy's daughter, who lives in town here. Mm-hmm. And I called her up, and I said, uh, this is what we did. We were renovating your old house that she grew up in. And uh, this is what we found. And I said, uh, you know, it's strange. obviously uh, personal property for yeah. your dad, so would you like to have it? And she said, absolutely. She came over, yeah. and when I handed her the wallet, she opened it up. And when she looked inside, she just absolutely burst into tears. That contained pictures that she had never seen. Her wow. family had never seen. Wow. They, had heard, they had heard things about Roy's uh, best friend, mm-hmm. who he lost in the war. And uh, they had never seen a picture of uh, Roy's best friend. There hmm. was a picture there for her. And it was just an amazing thing that happened. So... I adopted Roy, I guess, as a as a, um, a special attachment to hmm. to the veterans that that um, I've carried now for the last five six years. I go there every year now, and I put a a poppy there for Roy, and I put his sign on the his name on the on the cenotaph uh, with a card. And um, this is what meant so much to me, and yeah. this is why I got so upset. Yeah, it, it really, Emotional really on uh, so many hit levels. to the core. Yeah. Well, it hit to the core so deeply, it was like a, an absolute kick in the gut. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I, uh, when I left, um, uh, I was just so upset. Yeah. Um, but I had one poppy left. And mm-hmm. uh, so when I came back and I said to myself when I was coming near to the downtown area, I said, you know what, I'm going to go by there again. Mm-hmm. And I went by, there was maybe two people there. Um, and uh, it was quiet. It was, uh, you know, there was a real reflective serenity about it, which is what that cenotaph is all about, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, 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 yep. it's a, a serene place. And so I uh, took that last poppy I had and uh, I put it back on there again with uh, on Roy's card, and I just felt this need to get on my knees, and I said a prayer for every uh, everybody there, uh, all the soldiers, and I just had to apologize. To the veterans from all of us because of, of this absolute atrocity. And that's all it is. is a, it's just a horrible, horrible thing that happened. The disrespect uh, is, is just beyond words. Uh, so, I don't know if I'll, this will ever leave me. It, it's, it's, yeah. The feeling I had that day was just, it's just, it'll never go away. All right, Larry, well, I'm going to let you uh, go, and, and, you know, I really appreciate you uh, sharing that story and speaking out for on behalf of, I think, a lot of people, um, and I really appreciate that. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for calling. Thanks. 
George Affleck for Mike Smith today, and hope you're having a great day. It's Friday. It's Friday morning for a long weekend, or is it a long weekend? Is it you take that yesterday and today off? Well, I hope you're relaxing and listening to CKNW and enjoying your day, even though the weather's kind of meh. Tim was just saying, our tech care producer was just saying, oh my God, when's this rain going to stop? We'll see. Hopefully, I think there's a window on Tuesday where the sun's going to come out. I think that's what I saw. Anyways, the speculation speculation tax uh, that you all know was created with an intention to stop speculation in the BC housing market. Just this week, the BC government sent out a press release saying, BC's speculation tax continues to turn vacant units into homes and fund affordable housing. You know, how accurate is that? Rob Shaw, a political correspondent and columnist with Czech News and the Orca, has latest column focuses on just that. Hey, Rob. Hi. Thanks for joining me. So let me let me ask you, first of all, this tax, you know, take me back first to how it was introduced so people have an understanding of what this, because there's so many new taxes out there, whether you're in a city or the province, this speculation tax, where did it come from and, and where, where has it gone? Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a bit of a messy tax. So it was created in 2018 after the New Democrats came into the government. And the idea, you know, was to crack down on foreign ownership in, mm-hmm. in some way. Uh, and so the tax applies to people who have second properties who leave them vacant. Uh, and you can get an exemption if you rent your place out or if you sell it. Uh, and it, there was a lot of confusion at the beginning of, okay, well, this is only going to apply to foreign owners. And then the government sort of had to admit very quickly, well, actually, it applies to British Columbians as well. Uh, and it changed the, the areas in which the tax applies. So it's not everywhere in the province. It's just kind of the areas that the government felt were the hardest hit. So Metro Vancouver and Victoria and Kelowna, um, that, that kind of the sort of hard uh, vacancy rate areas right. and unaffordable housing areas. And the tax is sort of chugged along every year. Um, and, and there's annual reports that are put out. And the most recent annual report came out this past week, which sort of updates everyone on who's paying it and, and, and why. Mm-hmm. How much did it bring in, by the way, to say that? Yeah, I mean, so the, ta- well, <laughs> the tax is kind of funny because it, it brought in $81 million dollars in the last year, and government likes to point to that and say, well, huh. you know, that's, that's a success. It was never created to generate no. revenue per se. It wasn't, wasn't supposed right. to be a cash cow, but, but yeah, now government kind of points <laughs> what? to it. Hey, great. You tell me government's trying to make money off us? Come on. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. The original, the, the, the um, carbon tax was ca- revenue neutral, and so there was no, never any intention to make this revenue neutral, I assume. No, I mean, government will say that it's spending a lot of money on affordable housing projects and things like that. And so this is a drop in the bucket of that, which, you know, fair enough. But mm-hmm. uh, it's not, uh, it's a lot of money that comes in and, and, you know, it fits into a larger pattern we see of government relying very heavily on real estate revenue. The property transfer yeah. tax brings in almost a couple billion dollars a year. It's one of right. the biggest revenue sources for government. So, it, you know fits into that, uh, that pattern. This, it's a tax when it was first being bounced around, whether it be municipally or federal, you know, there, there's a lot of racist undertones that people were saying at that time, but they seem mm-hmm. to get through that. And, and now that doesn't, that conversation doesn't exist. Well, no, that's because the most people hit by the tax now are British Columbia. Right. So it, there was an initial kind of a drop in foreign owners who in the first year chose to, um, either sell or rent, I guess. Mm-hmm. To get out of this tax, uh, they pay a higher rate. So they pay two percent of their assessed value uh, when they uh, don't, you know, when they leave a property vacant. British Columbians and Canadians pay 0.5 percent. So what we see now with the tax is that with those foreign owners, you know, a couple thousand of them disappeared. 
now most people who pay are British Columbians at the rate of two local British Columbians to one foreign owner. And those are British Columbians who have a second property, who a condo or a cottage or a second home or an investment property who leave it vacant. And so you kind of look at the tax now and you say, what do you do with this tax? It, mm-hmm. it did appear to have some success in getting rid of some foreign buyers. A couple, at the thousand, beginning. A couple thousand yeah. units, not, not, not millions that we need or two, not, kind of no, few no, hundred thousand that we need. Yeah. Do you leave it in place now as a deterrent against that? Or do you look at its impact on British Columbians? And what it really is at this point is um, it's a wealth tax. It's, yeah. a, it's a kind of tax on people who have second properties. And it's hard. Uh, and There's not a lot of sympathy for people with money, it's hard, no, especially no, when you're no. an NDP government. I mean, no, and, I mean, you you can make an argument that that's a good tax. That, yeah, that sure. if you have a little tax bit more, much. you can yeah. give a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But it was not the purpose for the tax. It wasn't created to do that. It wasn't ever intended to be the version that it is now. And the metrics that we, you know, talked to government about at the beginning about how can we tell if this this tax is going to be successful. That's not what we're talking about anymore when we, when we look at it. So there's kind of an identity crisis for the speculation tax and that makes me sort of wonder, well, what, where does it go from here if it intends? I mean, like the number of local residents who are hit, British Columbians who are hit um, with this tax was up 51% year over why, year. Why? How, how did suddenly so many people get affected? They, they changed the game, like they changed the wording or something? What did they do to make well, it there, so more impactful? Yeah, there was an exemption uh, like residences on, on land uh, mm-hmm. that uh, I think they call the expiry of the land without residence exemption. So basically empty land that kind of uh, ended. And there were some more exemptions that were built into the tax that are going to kind of end in the years ahead on strata properties and things where if you can't rent and you got sort of initial kind of um, exemptions from the tax. But really what it tells us and what we've, we've sort of always known and no one really wants to say it um, and governments certainly don't want to say it, is that the speculators that fuel our market um, are us. <laughs> and and that, is, right. that is the political conundrum for governments, is that it's fine to target foreigners. They make for fantastic mm-hmm. political villains, and the previous liberal government and the current New Democrat government do that. Mm-hmm. They blame our housing woes on that, and there may be a small segment of the ultra-wealthy part of the market where that may be true, but... In, but this tax continues to show us every year that most speculators, as we define them, most people with multiple properties who leave them vacant, are British Columbians. Yeah, and we'll be and, speaking to somebody about that this after, after this or after this interview with you. Um, but it seems like you know, and governments never take taxes away. Once they introduce a tax, they just, as you described, re- rejig it or reword it so that they can keep that tax. Because to, to get rid of a tax would be crazy. It's it's cash in the bank. I mean, why would you get rid of a tax? It doesn't matter what it's called. Just rename it and keep taking it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a brilliant bit of of politics, right? Because it's not really a speculation tax. It doesn't impact your ability to buy something and flip it. Um, you know, that would be, you'd have to get into sort of capital gains territory and your principal residence. About that and, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, and the government does not want to do that at all mm-hmm. because people like the idea of being able to profit if you're in the market, if you have a lotto 649 ticket that is your home <laughs> that you bought 30 years ago. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't address speculation. Uh, it is a wealth tax, and the green former Green leader Andrew Weaver defined it like that mm-hmm. in the legislature when it came out. And then, but people like the idea 
of a speculation tax. They like an idea of uh, targets against foreign owners. They like the foreign buyers tax that still is in place for British Columbians uh, that the previous government brought in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and polls consistently show people don't mind this, even if it's not really doing what it says it's <laughs> doing or what government said it was going to do from the start. What does the minister say uh, when you ask her uh, about this? Or, you know, what, yeah, what, well, there's, yeah, so the, the I mean, government, there's several ministers involved, I would imagine, because it's a tax sure, yeah. on housing. So you've got a couple there you can deal with. Yeah, well, the, the government's line that they, they sort of fall back and defend on here is that, that it's not the British Columbians pay less in the speculation tax than foreigners. Okay, and yeah. That, technically, that is true yes. because foreigners pay four times the rate. And so even though you have far fewer foreigners, they end up paying, if, if the rates were equal, um, that would not be a, a statement the government could make. But this is kind of their sort of the last bastion they have on sort of defending the taxes. Well, most money paid is by foreign owners. And you're like, well, I guess that for now, that right? is true. That yes. is true for now for, for as but, long as that kind of lasts. But the, the success for this, this there's two ways to define success with this. One is that they stop getting the tax at all because people are completely, you know, well, I'm not going to pay it because I have, I'll sell my property or whatever. So that's kind of happening with the foreign side, uh, mm-hmm. the foreign investment. But now we've got the local stuff. So eventually, the only way now to define success is if the revenue goes to zero and then they go high five, we did it. Yeah, which is never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, the original original definition for success was improve housing affordability improve rental vacancy rates because the hope was that if you try to get out of this tax, you would rent your second property Mm -hmm. and then that would bring vacancy rates uh, to a better position and that would help lower rents and that would help put more stock on the housing market and would bring prices down. I don't think any of that has happened. Now, you can make the argument that just because it hasn't happened, does that mean the tax is a failure? Well, would we be in a worse position without it possibly i guess but it's hard to it's hard to really match up the intention and the current version and the future when everything is just slightly off a little bit and if you're, if housing was one of your goals you certainly have failed because we don't have a lot more housing that we need uh if that was the goal it certainly hasn't worked for that no and you know if you want to look at where government should go on housing they did have an expert panel that produced a report a few months ago led mm-hmm. by joy mcphail which recommended getting into the world of capital gains, taxing yes, people's yeah. sales. It got, it got into the world of putting deadlines on municipal councils, on project right. approvals, and government doesn't want to do any of that. <laughs> and they very quickly got rid of that report. But they do like <laughs> what the speculation tax has become, which is a cash cow. If you had created the speculation tax in 2018 and said, this is a tax on British Columbians who have second homes, uh, and people would have gone, What? What is that? We don't want that. But if you create it, you call the speculation tax, you target foreigners, and you let the tax drift, there then go. it becomes more palatable. It's a little gold mine. Rob, thanks very much for joining me. No problem. Take All care. Right. George Affleck for Mike Smith today on a Friday morning, and hope your day is going well. And before the break, we were talking about the speculation tax uh, and how it might be punitive to local residents, uh, sort of in strangely. Our next guest claims to be one of those people unfairly targeted by the speculation tax. He's uh, he's he's not a he's not a speculator. He has no other piece of real estate, and he's living in his home. So what what's going on here? Tony Jan Chan is a Richmond resident, and he joins me now. Hey, Tony. Hey, George. Good morning. Thanks for joining me. So tell me, what, what, what t- I'm confused. How is this, what, tell me about your situation. What's going on here? 
Well, thanks to uh, you know other media outlets and of course this, um, my story has been out there and probably more common than COVID right now. But um, <laughs> the gist of it is that I was given this notification that uh, I am considered to be a speculator, um, despite the fact that I've lived in British Columbia for 64 years. Mm-hmm. I've lived in the same house I purchased 21 years ago. So if I'm a speculator, I'm a lousy one. Uh, I should have bought more homes, I suppose, at the time. <laughs> and the other issue is that it's it's not an empty home because I actually live yeah. here. It's so, not a pied-à-terre. I live here. So right. the hook that they've got me on or they're trying to rope me into is that I am married to a non-Canadian. I mean, she lives in the United States, and that, so, was, that was an event that happened in 2005. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have the uh, foresight at the time to think that I might be punished sometime in the future for being married to this person. So those are the circumstances, and that's the hook. And I understand their policies to try to, uh, you know, cast a net over these uh, offshore people who are sending kids here and living them in $5 million homes, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. That's obviously not my circumstance. And, um, you know, the, the pleas that I've made to the finance ministry bureaucracy has just basically fallen into deaf ears. They, as someone said, they patted you on the head and said, well, that's the way it is. You know, have a good life. So let me get this straight. You're basically, because your wife is in the States, so you, your permanent residency, though, really is in the United States. She's an American citizen. Yeah, I've lived here all my life. So you bounce back and forth between the two homes. Sure, that's correct, yep. But that's, and is there a percentage of time that you're supposed to be spending here that, that they're saying you don't? And how do they no, know? No, no, they, they don't. I mean, that's not even a qualification. I mean, the, the time, I don't even come close to the six-month um, threshold that the Americans, uh, you know, want you to stand there anyway. So it's irrelevant. It, it's, it's totally moot. So it's odd because I am, you know, at the threshold of retirement. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I'm not going to make as much money as, let's say, a cabinet minister. But um, <laughs> my wife still works. So obviously, she'll make more money than me. So what am I supposed to do? I can't tell her to stop working. That's nonsensical. Mm-hmm. So it, it's preposterous and absurd. And I've tried to press that point to anybody who will listen. And it's been an enormously frustrating process. And I, and I can't imagine that if someone didn't have, let's say, you know, English skills to fight this, yeah. it would be very daunting. What's the question on the tax forms that you ticked off that you should perhaps, uh, oh, if I hadn't ticked that off, I wouldn't be in this situation? What is it exactly that made it possible for this to happen to you? Well, I think I can't do have the form in front of me, but basically mm-hmm. the, the issue is that, you know, the, the, does your worldwide income uh, derive from outside of Canada, your global income? It's your income, family income. Your family income, right. right. And uh, so, okay, well, notionally, I guess that's true. I mean, we are a family, but we still live. I mean, she has expenses, she has kids, and I have expenses, and I have kids. Mm-hmm. So we've always lived this way for... Most people live in, 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 as individuals, even in partnerships. They kind of have their money, and you have your money. It's like you don't really share your money that much, uh, especially if you have uh, other homes. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not doing anything that's unusual. I'm no. married to somebody. So mm-hmm. it happens she lives in another country. I didn't realize that was punishable by a $15,000 a year fine. So... It's an absurd thing, and, and the frustrating part for me is trying to impress this upon people who would at least have mm-hmm. a sense of logic about this. And, you know, when, since the story has come out, it's interesting. Is that, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a quixotic mission for me. Obviously, it's, it's, they're trying to take money from me, in mm-hmm. my opinion, not rightfully. But a lot of people have come because of my story and said, ah, me too. I've also had similar experiences. And, you know, and I think the take for me from all of this is how daunting it is to fight against mm-hmm. the government because they can throw out any number of roadblocks and obstacles, and it's not that easy. I mean, most people probably would be frustrated and say, oh, well, you know, I'll just pay. That would be nice, but I just don't have it to have an extra $30,000 laying around doing nothing. <laughs> no doubt. That's what you've uh, – so you've racked up 30000 um, bucks, and are you organized with other people, or are you doing this on your own? 
oh no, this is just on my own. I mean, I've managed to rope in my MLA, which is probably should be most people's point of departure anyway. Right. Uh, ostensibly, they are fighting for your for for your uh, position, and uh, yeah. so I've I've pushed her, and uh, they have, in fairness, uh, brought this up actually in the house. So I've seen the transcript of mm-hmm. the um, of the of the take, and uh, yet. Uh, it's, we still haven't had any action. So it's not as if they're unaware of it, and this is an oversight. I mean, they're fully aware of it, and yet it still hasn't been rectified. So I'm curious as to why this has even dragged on the way it is. And, of course, I have my suppositions, but um, it's... Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Tony, I appreciate you joining me, and good luck with your battle with government. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it.